I want us to, to pray something together this morning, and it's probably pretty familiar. We, we've been talking a little bit about prayer the past week or so, past couple of weeks. We did a lab night on Thursday, and we talked specifically about intercession and the importance, the value of intercession. And intercession really means that you are standing in the gap on behalf of someone, a place, on behalf of something, because we, we, we talked about the fact that really there's a lot of things that God would like to do, but he's designed the world in such a way that if his church doesn't pray, a lot of those things are not going to happen. How many of y'all believe that? I don't believe that God is just going to say, well, I want to do this, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. No, he's designed the world in such a way that his church, his people, he's given them a delegated authority and a mandate to pray his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's so important, it's so vital that we understand the importance of prayer and that, and that we really believe that nothing of kingdom value is actually going to happen except through prayer. That that's the starting point for all of us as Christians that we have to learn and understand the importance of a lifestyle of prayer. Now, one of the things that I, where I want to start is, if you want to go uh, in, in Luke chapter 11, there is, I'm going to call this the disciples prayer. Now, you all know it probably as the Lord's prayer. If I say the Lord's prayer, everybody knows the Lord's prayer. But see, this was the prayer that Jesus taught to his disciples. And I'm going to argue that really Jesus couldn't pray it uh, the way that we can because in the prayer he asked for forgiveness of sins. And we know that Jesus could not have effectively asked for forgiveness of sins because he was sinless. So it really isn't the Lord's prayer. It's the disciples prayer. It's the prayer that the Lord gave to his disciples in order to say this is how I want to give you an outline for prayer. Now I don't know about you if, you, if you're like me. I grew up in... Uh, I went to Catholic church sometimes. I went to Presbyterian church sometimes. And in those churches, like, you, you get up and you say the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, two or three. Yeah, amen. We got, got a couple Presbyterians back here. Praise God. Um, uh, but but and, and, and you, you repeat that over and over and over again. I remember when I was young, uh, it got in my heart. And, and, and I, before I went to bed, even if I get scared, I didn't know how else to pray, so I would pray this out loud. But I want to I teach this verse by verse, essentially. And we're going to go through it because I think that the Lord wasn't just saying, hey, just repeat after me and say this and it'll take care of it. But he was giving you an outline of how to hit specific things in prayer. And when you get this in your heart and you understand what Jesus was trying to say concerning this prayer, there are all kinds of prayers in the New Testament. A lot of people say, well, I'm not sure what to pray or how to pray. There are prayers in the no throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. And when you begin to get in these prayers, we talked about going through the book of Psalms and, and how that teaches us to pray. But when you get these prayers in your heart, it begins to give you an outline of how you can begin to press into prayer. And then guess what? You're actually praying the word of God. It gets in your heart, it changes you, and it moves situations around in your life. But we want to start out here. So in Luke 11, Luke 11 verse uh, 1, there's two accounts. In Luke 11, Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer. And then also in Matthew cha chapter 6, he teaches it. I'm going to read from Luke 11 verse 1, and then I'm going to go to Matthew 6 to actually uh, work verse by verse through the disciples' prayer. So Luke 11 verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying... In a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Now, I love how it says that now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place that his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. 
And I think there's a reason that it says in there as he was praying in a certain place, because the thing about prayer that you got to understand is when you are praying. And I don't know. I don't know about you, but really, we live in crazy, busy lives nowadays. Like people are so busy nowadays that they can't show, They barely show up on a Sunday morning service because they feel like they are overwhelmed with all of the responsibilities and the things that are going on in their life. But see, that's why it's so important that you prioritize prayer. You make an appointment sometimes because you say, I'm going to meet with such a person at such a place at such a time and you make sure that you're going to be at that appointment and sometimes what you've got to do with your prayer life is say it's such a priority it's so important in my life that I'm going to have a certain time and a certain place and I'm going to meet with God amen you have to begin to establish that as a discipline in your life that there's going to be a certain time and a certain place that I'm going to go and I'm going to meet with God and Jesus had certain places that he had determined that he was going to go and pray to God and his disciples they saw this uh, over and over again throughout their three years of ministry his disciples would see that sometimes Jesus would say boys you all get in a boat y'all go on over on across the sea and I'm going to go up into a mountain Jesus prayed all night to God in prayer before he chose his 12 disciples Oftentimes it says that he would get up early in the morning before any of his other disciples would even get up from sleep. And we're talking about God. It would seem to me that if he really is the son of God, he needs to pray way less than I do. But he demonstrated what it was like to be a man in right relationship with the Father. And he said, if you're going to be a man in right relationship with God the Father, you are going to be a man of prayer. And it so affected his disciples that they would see it because sometimes he would go all night by himself in a place to pray. And it says that sometimes when he would come down off the mountain, that literally power would just be flowing out of him. And as many as just touched the hem of his garment, they would be, they would be made whole. Because he had such a connection with the Father that he was saturated with the Spirit of God. Fully full of the Holy Spirit. We talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. There was nobody more full. He was filled to capacity with the Holy Spirit. But part of that was because of his connection with the Father through prayer. And so when the disciples asked him this question, they could have asked him anything. They, they could have said, Lord, teach us how you walk on water because that's cool. And I guarantee you if we go down to the lake and there's some people out there, it'd be a wonderful way to minister to some people to just start walking on the water and say, hey, y'all know how I can do this? God's real. I mean, that'd be a really good evangelistic tool, wouldn't it? Lord, teach me how to walk on water. We'll get all kinds of people saved. Lord, teach me how to raise the dead. We'll go down to the funeral home. We'll take care of business. You could, they could have asked him anything, but the one thing they asked him to teach them was, Lord, teach us how to pray. Why? Because they noticed that he valued prayer above everything else in his life, his relationship with the Father. They noticed that he prayed all the time, and they noticed that when he prayed, things happened. Amen. So they said, Lord, teach us how to pray like you pray the same way that John taught his disciples because we want to see the same results. And a lot of scholars, when they teach on this prayer, they'll say that Jesus, he outlined it in such a way that it's almost like a, it's almost like a poem, isn't it? When you, when you say, everybody has it memorized to some degree. Y'all could probably say it with me, couldn't you? Most of you could. You, how about let's, let's, let's read it together right quick. Matthew chapter 6, you ready? Let's say this prayer together. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Doesn't that just make you feel good? That brings back memories to me, right? We're getting all liturgical this morning. Amen. So 
they, they, the scholars would say that Jesus taught them because you see how there's a repetition to it. There's a beauty to it. But he says not only that, but they knew, Jesus knew that when he taught them this prayer, that it was going to trigger thoughts in their mind because he was going to embody this prayer throughout his life. He was going to embody the fact that he had a relationship with the Father. He was going to embody and live out the fact that he was bringing the kingdom of heaven upon earth. He was going to embody forgiveness. He was going to embody the fact that he would provide bread and fish and loaves for thousands of people, that he was a provider. He was going to live it out for them, and every time they would pray this prayer, something would, be, would, would click in their mind and say, that's what Jesus did that time. And it would register with them, and so they would stay in this covenant with God the Father, and they would stay in right relationship with God and with others as they prayed this prayer. So the first thing that he prays, and this is in your notes, the first thing, number one, is his name. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, the first verse we read there, is, it says, Our Father who is in heaven. And, you know, he says our Father, because here's what you got to understand first and foremost, is that he is our Father corporately. He's not just your father all alone, even though he is. But see, when we are baptized into Christ, we are baptized into a family. And the people that are sitting around you and the people that are in, in the church throughout the world, we have become family members together and we are calling our father. When I come into prayer, I cannot go into prayer with, with my father without bringing you in with me because you are my brothers and sisters. And so he says, our father who is in heaven. And, 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 and what you, also what you need to understand is that above every other name, the name that Jesus came to reveal was the name of the father. It's very interesting. In Romans 8, 15... It says, you have not received a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption or the spirit of sonship by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, no longer do you need to have a picture of God where you feel like he is a, an enslaving, angry taskmaster who desires to bring you into some form of legalistic bondage. He says, you don't have that spirit of bondage again to be afraid of God, although a healthy fear and reverence and awe of God is a good thing. Amen. I think sometimes today, sometimes we, we get away from what the healthy fear of God is in a sense that he is, man, he is all powerful. And we should reverence God in that way. But we should never be afraid of God in, in, in the sense that he's going to punish us or be angry with us or that his desire is simply to cast us into hell. Jesus comes to reveal the Father and he says, if you want to know what the Father is like, how do you know? He says, because you look at me. And I'm revealing the name of God and the name that he wants you to know in the new covenant above every other name is the name Father. And he says, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of you. And all of a sudden, there's a change in how you view God. Because most people's picture of God, I don't know about you, but my, my picture of God before I got saved was pretty much that he was probably just sitting up on a cloud, ticked off at me, like angry. Like really mad, ready to punish me. And, and then all of a sudden I had an encounter with Jesus Christ and the love of God overwhelmed my life and the spirit of God birthed this thing in my heart where I started to cry out, Abba, Daddy God. And I could run into his arms and I realized that he loves me. He wants to protect me. He wants what is best for me. And I think about the care and the gentleness of a father. My, 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 buddy, my buddy Richard he just had a baby. We're having babies all over this place right now. We are growing the church the old-fashioned way. Amen. <laughs> just keep having babies, y'all. I mean, just some of y'all that are older, I know you, you got some 30-year-old children. Go ahead and have another one. <laughs> I mean, just bring them up. Um, but that's, uh, 
We'll, we'll raise them up and make them godly children, and then we'll, we'll take over the world for the kingdom of God, right? Just keep having godly children. That's, how, that's a real way. That's another evangelistic tool and strategy. Uh, but I noticed, so, so something, you know, sometimes uh, he just, he had this newborn baby and, the, and there was, you know, there was a, sometimes you get scared when you got a newborn baby. I get scared. We get around newborn babies. I, I got a rule. Like I don't hold newborn babies. You know what I'm saying? I, I wait for a while for them to develop. I don't, I, I don't, because they're, they're, they're fragile. And, and there was a spook, but man, you know, there was, when, when, he, when he got spooked a little bit, there was like tears in his, and you could just see the, the, the father's love and compassion and care. And the thing is, is how much more do you think your heavenly father cares for you? He cares for you so much more than even our earthly fathers care for us. And there is such concern of every little detail. And that is how your heavenly father loves you. He, sometimes we feel like God is distant. He doesn't really care about what's going on in my life. But your heavenly father is, he is interested in every single little detail. And Jesus teaches this. He says, look, he doesn't even allow one. He knows the number of hairs that are on your head. He feeds the birds of the air. And he says, it's his good desire to give unto you the kingdom because you're his little flock. He wants to give you the kingdom, and that's how our Father loves us. That's how He cares for us, and that's what cry, this cry that comes in our heart through the Holy Spirit. My question is, is what is your picture of God? Do you have a difficulty seeing Him as Father? Do you feel like an orphan sometimes? Do you feel like you're alone? And Jesus is saying, the thing that I wanted to invite you in is into a relationship where you know you're coming to a loving Father when you pray. A lot of people, I had a guy that used to come to church where I was at and I'd be preaching, you know, he amen the fire out of me like he was a top-notch ameneer. But he always called God, he'd go, he'd be, he'd be, he'd be whispering in the back, he'd be like, I'd, I'd preach and say something and he'd go, yes, master, yes, master. I was like, what in the world? Is, he, is that Yoda back there or something like that? Is it? And I didn't know what was going on. But, and, and you know what? We call God all kinds of different things. We call him Lord. We call him God. We call him master. We call him all of these things. But above everything, he wants to be known as your heavenly father and you honor him when you address him as your heavenly father. Jesus came to reveal that name. John 17, 6. Let's look at a couple of verses. John 17, 6. Jesus says this. He's praying a big, long prayer in John 17. He says, I have manifested your name. I have revealed your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Verse 11 says... Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you. Now watch this. Now he gives the name. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me that they may be one as we are. Keep through your name, Holy Father. While I was with you in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. There was a keeping in this name. So here's what he's saying. Jesus is saying, Holy Father, I came... And everybody in the Old Testament, they knew you. Moses knew you, God. Elijah, he knew you. Jeremiah, they knew you, God, but they didn't know you in fullness because the Scripture says that no man had seen God at any time, but the only, but, but the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has revealed Him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. He said, if you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father. The Father was fully revealed and manifested in the life of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is saying, now I have revealed to them the love of the Father. Now they know who you really are because 
I have shown them. And they've seen my character. They've seen my love. They've seen my power. They've seen my glory. And so now, God, they fully know who you are. They used to not know in fullness, but now they do. And what does he say? He says, I kept them in your name. That means he kept them in the character of who God is, in the nature of God. And if you look over those three years, not one time did one of them fall sick. Do you see? They're protected. They're kept. And they're learning about the true nature of God the Father. He kept them in that name. And the name of God will keep you. The name of God will keep you. Matter of fact, Proverbs 18.10 says this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Now, when we talk about the name of the Lord, we're not just simply talking about a name that you say, well, you just, we just say in Jesus' name or, 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 or Holy Father. It's not just a name. When we talk about name, we're talking about character. We're talking about who he is in his nature, his personhood, who God is. His name is who he is. And here's what he's saying. He's saying you can run the name of the Lord, who he reveals himself to be. He says you can run into it. And when you run into God, Forrest was talking about that this morning. When you run into God, you run into his presence, you figure out who he is. And in that place, there is safety. Now, I want you to understand that in the Old Testament, there were all kinds of names for God. And we call it like, y'all have heard, y'all know, Jehovah Jireh, and they got all that. Now, Jehovah is, is, is a transliteration. In the Old Testament, his name was Yahweh. Yahweh, that's how it's pronounced. And even Jesus', Jesus name is an English transliteration because his name was Yeshua, right? We changed the Y into the J, but that's no big deal. It doesn't really matter because it's not necessarily the letters that you're speaking, but it's the character of the name. And there is power in the character and in the nature of that name. So what you have is you have, for example, in the Old Testament, God starts to reveal himself, but he reveals himself in pieces, it's just a little bit at a time because if God had revealed himself in a full manifestation of himself, matter of fact, he only showed Moses his back parts. And when Moses looked at God a little bit, he had to put, he had to put a, a, like a mask, like a veil over his face because when he came down, he was reflecting the glory of God and they could not look at it because it was so holy and pure. We can't even imagine that. So he would reveal himself in mediated little nuggets, little pieces of who he was. And he revealed himself once as Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. This means that he becomes the one who washes us in his blood. And our sin is given to him and he gives us that righteousness. He is revealed as Jehovah Mikadesh, which means he is the God that sanctifies me, that sets me apart, that makes me holy. He's revealed as Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace, that when I am in tumultuous times and I don't know what to do, I can enter into the name of the Lord and peace begins to overwhelm me. I went through a difficult situation recently and just think my mind going crazy. I told my wife, I said, I just got to se- I had just had to separate for a minute to get my mind and my thoughts in order. But as I began to turn it to the Lord, what happened? I entered into his name and the peace of God began to overwhelm me. I'm entering into his name. I'm running into his name. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He says, I'm setting your name apart. I'm making it holy. This is why, folks, the third commandment is still a good commandment. Amen. Everybody talking about throwing out the Ten Commandments. If you break the Ten Commandments, you're in a bad shape. They're not that. I mean, it's not even that big a deal. It's like don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Honor your father and mother. Those sound pretty good to me. Right. Now, obviously, we cannot keep them without the power of God. But we need that. And one of the one of the commandments is do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What's he saying? He's saying do not treat the name of God as a common thing. When you use the name of God, when you speak the name of God, it is a holy thing that is to be held in reverence. 
Because there's power behind it. And this world and Satan would love you to just flippantly use the name of God because then all of a sudden it begins to strip it of its power and you just connect it with things that are common and unholy and not even that big a deal. But see, the name of God is something powerful. The name of God is something that, to be held in reverence, to be held in awe because when we truly know and worship the Lord for who He is, when that name gets on our lips, son, and we worship, I believe the power of God begins to flood a place and He begins to impact people's lives and change people's lives because they know their God and they don't just treat Him as some kind of flippant common thing. They holy, they sanctify, they hallow the name of God. And see, there, throughout the Old Testament, He's given all these names. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, your healer. And I like it because, because the thing is, is, is when you say Jehovah Rapha, it's not this. It's not, well, the Lord will heal you. Or Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord is righteous. He'll give you righteousness. No, it is said like this. The Lord is healing. The Lord is righteousness. It's in his nature. And when you have an encounter with him, you experience that righteousness. You experience that holiness. You receive healing before you even ask for it because you are in the presence of the one who is healing. Amen. He is all those things. It's not something that he just gives you. It's his nature. He is healing. He is life. He is peace. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is your provider. That means that he's able to supply all of your needs. And not only that, in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew word there, Jireh, Yira, whatever it is, it says, it says not just that he is a provider, but the word literally means that he foresees. I love this because what it means is, is sometimes we get in these pickles. You know what I'm saying? It's like, God... My heating unit just broke down. I ain't got the money to pay for it. But what the Lord says to me is not only am I your provider, but I have already foreseen what you're going to go through. And if you're in this situation, don't doubt my son that I already knew it was going to happen. I knew that it was going to happen and I'm going to use it for your good and I'm going to turn it for your good. And in some way or another, if you will call upon my name and run into my name, you are going to find that I have already made plans to provide for you in this situation as well. Amen. He is our provider. This is who God is. This is his name. But see, in, in all of that, his name, even in the New Testament, the name of Jesus, all of these names get summed up in Jesus. All of these names get summed up in the Father. Because the Father desires to heal you. The, the Father desires to give you righteousness. And when he sent his son and his son humbled himself and became obedient to the death on the cross, therefore God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is, he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that is, so, so we're praying the Father's name. We're setting his name apart. And I'll put it to you like this. See, before you even pray, we're, we just, we, right then we just made it through the first part of that prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're just stopping to recognize who he is, to honor him as Father, to honor his nature, and to worship him. There's a guy I like to listen to named Bill Johnson. He said this one time. He said, if you pray 10 minutes, he said, eight of it ought to be worship. If you pray 10 minutes, eight of it ought to be worship. Because what he's saying is you don't just need to come with a laundry list to God. 
You need to come and give some time honoring the one and, and understanding who it is that you're approaching, understanding who it is that you're praying to, that he's already provided all of your needs, that his name is already magnified above everything that you could possibly ask for. You're coming to the one who knows what you need before you even ask him. And if you would just spend eight minutes in his presence honoring him and glorifying him, all of a sudden the, your request would drop significantly because you'd realize in him I've already got what I've asked for, what I wanted to ask for. I've already got everything that I need. You may enter into his presence needing healing and find that during the eight minutes of worship, you've already been healed. Somebody amen me on that. This is the God that we're coming to in worship, in prayer. Secondly, here's the second thing, is, is his will. We pray his name, we pray his will. Matthew 16 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom is the, the word kingdom, it means the king's dominion. The king's dominion. And he's saying, God, let your kingdom come. And Jesus here is teaching us about what we should actually be concerned with, what we should actually be occupied with, what we should actually be worried about. Because Jesus' ministry, every time he went into a place, what would he say? He would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is right here in your midst. There's a new kingdom. And see, there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, there's the kingdom of light, and there's the kingdom of darkness. And these two kingdoms right now, are, they're battling for you to come into agreement with them. And what you see, we see light and darkness on the earth to the degree that humanity either agrees with light or agrees with darkness. And when humanity agrees with darkness, you see Satan having legal access to run rampant in people's lives. But when people repent of sin and they renounce that darkness and they turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and they are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, into the kingdom of light, all of a sudden the spirit of God is placed within them and they become a conduit for the kingdom of heaven to flow through to bring transformation in the earth. This is what he's saying. He's saying... I've come to bring a kingdom that is not of this world. And see, what you got to understand is that the end goal of everything we're a part of is that heaven and earth become one. Do you realize that it's not Jesus' goal for you to die and just live out in a celestial heaven floating around like this for eternity? No, he says we're coming back and we're going to rule and reign on this earth alongside of him. And heaven and earth will become one and there'll be no sun anymore because God will be our light. Amen. Heaven and earth are going to become one. And right now Jesus is saying, I've given you authority. I've released it into your hands. And I want you to begin to already put this thing into place. You need to make the home where you live look a little bit more like heaven. You need to make the city where you live look a little bit more like heaven. You are called to pray and come into agreement with my kingdom and say, we're breaking down the powers of darkness in our city, in our region. And we're agreeing with the kingdom of heaven. And we're saying, let your kingdom come right now, God, and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let earth begin to look like heaven until you return. And when you return, you're going to set it all up. And now it won't just be a little bit. See, we're in the already, but the not yet. We have a responsibility to usher in the kingdom of heaven right now on earth as it is in heaven. We were designed, put on this earth as human beings created in the image of God to reflect God. We would reflect God, reflect his love, reflect his goodness. And as much as we reflect him, then earth would reflect heaven. But the problem is, as our image was marred, we started to reflect the darkness of the devil more. And so, so what? 
earth started to reflect hell a little bit more. And that's what, we, that's what we live in. We live in this battleground of whether our allegiance to light or darkness is going to determine what the earth looks like. And God is saying we need to start to pray that His will is done on earth as it is in heaven. We start to partner with God to restore all things. We align our say-so with God's and what He wants to do. Now let me, let me say this to you. Because a lot of times people say, well, you know, everything that happens is God's will. I have to disagree with that. I don't believe that's true. I believe there's a lot of things that happen that are clearly not God's will, in my opinion. I do believe that God's will is often mysterious and we can't fully understand it. But I will say this, that in Scripture there are two different words in the Greek language for will. Okay? You have two different words. Donald said it one time. He, he, he does it like this every time he said it. He said, bulamai. All right, can you say bulamai? All right. Can you say fuzzy kitten? I get y'all say anything. <laughs> Bulamai is the Greek word for will or the will of God. And it is an absolute determined will of God that will not change regardless. And that means that you can pray, Jesus, don't come back, but I'm going to promise you something. He's coming back. And you can pray, Lord, don't raise everybody from the dead and bring us all before judgment, but I can promise you something. That's already determined in His will. He is going to raise everybody from the dead and everybody will stand before Him in judgment. That doesn't matter. We don't even have a participation with that. God's already settled it and established it. It is my will and that is going to happen. But see, everything is working toward the counsel of His ultimate will in that. No matter what happens, no matter how bad we mess stuff up, God is so full of wisdom that He can take our worst mistakes and say, ultimately, I can shift that around and bring it toward my end goal and my end will. But while you are here on earth, there's another type of will and it's called Thalo. Say Thalo with me. Oh, praise God, y'all are on fire this morning. Y'all learning Greek. Thalo means to will, to wish, or to desire, okay? And usually when this is in Scripture, it means that it is, it is it's God's desire, but it's God extending His best offer or His greatest desire, but it requires your, your participation and your co-laboring for it to be done. So He's saying, this is actually what I want for you. I want this right here. But it will not happen unless you participate with me and you co-labor together with me. It will not happen unless I get your agreement with me on it and you obey me in this. Because I don't want you bound to sin, but at the same time, if you don't participate with me and co-labor with me and repent and turn to me, then this will is not going to happen. You have to participate with me. Amen. There's a lot of things that God wants to do, but he needs a church that is willing to lay down their lives and say, God, we want to participate with your will and we want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but we're ready to come into agreement with you because we know that there's some things that are left open and it is in our responsibility, in our hands as your delegated authority to say, God, we want it done right here, right now on earth as it is in heaven. And we start to pray in that fashion and in that way. Romans 12, 2, this is a familiar verse that everybody loves. It says, don't be conformed to this world. In other words, don't allow the world to tell you how to think about situations. Don't, man, that's going on big time. Even in the church nowadays, the world is beginning to conform the thoughts of people and they're contradicting the Word of God in a lot of different areas. But he's saying, don't allow the world to conform you to itself, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? so that you can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's saying the world's going to try to push you into a mold and what it's moving you away from is you coming into agreement with the will of God to happen in your life.
But he's saying, but if you renew your mind according to the word of God and you allow the spirit of God in your relationship with the father to change your thinking and you come into agreement, he's saying you're going to be transformed as you renew your mind. And then you're going to be able to test and prove and say that right there is the will of God. You say, well, how do I know the will of God? Clay, I don't know the will of God in a lot of areas. Well, there's a lot of specific things where we just, we don't know the will of God, but we do know the will of God in a whole lot of areas. And we find that in scripture and we find that through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we know that more than anything, if you want to know the will of God, you need to look to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the perfect will of God. Look at his situations, how he dealt with things. When we look to him, we can prove and say, that's what the will of God looks like. That's what we want to see happen. And see, our desires begin to come into alignment with his. I like how it says, so that you may prove what is the good, the acceptable or well-pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Now, there's a lot of different ways uh, to look at that, I think. And some people say, well, you know, there aren't different levels to the will of God. But I think that we are such strange people the way that we're wired that it is very possible that I'm currently in the will of God in a lot of areas in my life. But in certain areas, I've not yet reached the full maturity of God's will. There's a lot of habits and different men mentalities and mindsets that I've got. And it, I'm in the good will of God, but I've not yet reached a level of maturity in the will of God. And I would say even as a church that there is a will of God for us that, man, if we, if we saw this will being done in our church, it would be unbelievable what would be happening in people's lives and the people that were getting saved and getting healed and getting set free and having encounters with Jesus. That's the ultimate mature will of God. And he's saying, as you renew your mind, you're coming into agreement with it and you're praying, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven right here in our midst. So we got to renew our mind, folks. We've got to pray according to his will for this to be done. And, you know, sometimes there's uh, people say, well, you know, I, I don't know. Again, we struggle with the will of God, but here's what I want to say to us about prayer. You know, there's a scripture in James 4, 3 that says, you have not because you ask not. A lot of you, a lot, in a lot of situations, I'm telling you right now, the reason you don't have some of the things that God wants for you is because you've simply not asked him for them. And he's saying, I wish you would come and ask me for some things. But he also says, but when you do ask, you ask amiss that you might consume it upon your own desires. And this is why when we ask, you need to let your petitions, your prayers be shaped by his presence. And you come in and you know the, the scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. I remember talking with a young lady when I was in, in youth ministry. Youth ministry is tough, boys. This young lady quoted that scripture to me. She said, that means that I get a new car and I get this dog that I want. I'm like, no, that's actually not what that means. He doesn't just give you whatever random desires in your heart. He's saying, when you worship me and I become your delight, I begin to share my desires with you. And when your desires line up with my desires, you pray and your prayers are answered because you're now praying my will and you've come into agreement with what I want to do. Matthew 16, 19, I want you to read this in the Amplified Version. He says, Jesus says to Peter, he says, I will give you the keys, the authority of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind, notice what it says here, forbid or declare to be improper and unlawful on earth will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose or permit or declare to be lawful on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. Basically, he's saying when you pray in the name of Jesus, it's not just that you say you get done praying, you say in Jesus name. 
Now, he's saying that you are praying in his character. And it's the same way that whenever, for example, in the city of Manchester, if we have police officers, we put a badge on them. It says police in the city of Manchester. That means they have jurisdiction in Manchester. And they know that there are certain things that are improper and unlawful. And they've been given authority to arrest your hind end if you break the law. Right? And if you are doing what is right and lawful, well, then they will loose you and allow it to happen. Jesus' name means that you are now his delegated authority. You have a badge of heaven on you. And when you see things in the earth that don't line up with his kingdom, you say, this is unlawful. I'm binding this in the name of Jesus Christ. We're not allowing this to go on anymore in our territory because we are enforcing heaven's command. And when we see that, okay, what God wants in this situation, he wants healing, he wants deliverance, he wants freedom, we begin to loose that into that situation. How do you do that? Through prayer, through the declared word of God, through coming into agreement with God. He's saying you need to pray that your, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Number three, his provision. He said, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Basically, what he's saying is you got to learn to depend on God for everything. You ask God to meet your needs and you trust him. Right. In the Old Testament, they uh, they were running low on stuff all the time, seemed like, or at least they thought they were. They didn't have water. They didn't have food. They'd cry out to God and God would cause water to flow right out of a rock so they would quench their thirst. They would be hungry and they'd cry out to God. And God would rain manna down from heaven, little flakes of, of bread that just tasted wonderful, right? I mean, and they would eat that. But he said, look, just take enough for each day. Don't go over, don't go less, just take enough for each day. But you know what? They moaned, they complained, but they said, we hate this manna. We don't like your provision, God. We want more. We want quail like we used to eat. And God finally gave them what they asked for, and they ate so much quail that they vomited out of their noses. That's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. I just imagine quail just coming right out of their nose. I mean, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says some stuff, y'all. You need to read it. So they did that. But here's, here's what the Lord says to me. He's like, he says, son, and this is what I, I've said this before, and I love this statement. But God's, when, when I'm in prayer, God's no to me has to become as good as his yes. Because if he says no to me, it's because he knows something I don't know. And if you really think about it, I know I'm a pastor and everything, but I was telling somebody the other day that I really a lot of times feel like a spiritual child when I come before God. And he's constantly refining me because he says, Clay, I'm giving you this day your daily bread. I'm giving you what you need because if I gave you everything you asked for right now, it would most likely make you spiritually sick. You wouldn't be able to, you would, you would stop coming to me the way you come to me. You wouldn't depend on me the way you're depending on me right now. You, there wouldn't be a brokenness. You would be so overly satisfied that you'd sit back and say, boys, I'm in good shape. I ain't got to worry about a thing. And then you just leave me off. You'd forget about me. But because these things are, I'm giving you just what you need. And yes, yes, there's a trial on occasion, but those trials are refining you, Clay. They're making you better. But what you need to know is I am your father and what you have right now, learn to be content with it because it is exactly what you need. Because I'm your father and I know what you need. Y'all are parents, y'all know. Some, you don't give your kid ice cream when he's a year old and even though he's crying for ice cream. There's certain things that you just don't do because you know they're going to get sick, right? Our Heavenly Father does the same thing. 
But man, we will throw fit. Have y'all ever thrown a, ta- a full grown, you're, you're, you're 30, 40, 50 years old, but you throw a spiritual tantrum anyway? Well, I don't know why God ain't showed up. He could heal me. He could do this. He could deliver us. He could do this, but he ain't done it. We could throw a fit. Easy. I, man, I've thrown some fits. Y'all, y'all agree? Everybody. Y'all have thrown some fits, and I'm just telling you that God sent, gave, dropped that nugget in my spirit this morning to say, what you have right now is probably exactly what you need. Amen. Give us this day our daily bread. See, he's he, he provision, but what God is saying is God cares about your needs. He cares when you're hungry. He's cared, he cares when you're worried about making uh, the payment, paying the bills. He cares when you're worried about whether or not you can put gas in your car. He cares about all those things. And he's saying you can ask God boldly because he wants to provide for you. And he says to ask him, but know this too. No, he may use you to meet other people's needs as well. Amen. Number four is his forgiveness. He says, taught us to pray to forgive us, Lord, our debts. Now, if you look in the Greek language, it's actually that word is the word for sins. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those indebted to us. There's two different words there. Forgive us our sins, Lord, as we forgive those who who are indebted to us. In other words, he's saying you need to do a heart check when you come to me in prayer. You're praying all these other things. You're praying my name. You're praying my will. You're praying my provision. And, and, and now, but you're doing a heart check when you come to me in prayer. And if you realize that you're, there's some, an area in your life during prayer where, where something's just not right. Maybe you got a bad attitude. I have to do that quite, re- quite regularly. Like I got to check my attitude and say, Lord, this is not right. I should not be thinking this way. I, I just want, I want to repent of that. I want to bring that under the blood. And I'm asking Holy Spirit for strength to turn from it. And at the same time, if somebody has done something wrong to me where in some way I'm I'm holding them in debt. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm saying, well, you know what? They, just, they bothered me just a little bit. But I don't really say nothing about it because I feel pretty justified in it. But he's saying, no, you remember the price that I've paid to forgive you of your sins. And that's just a little small debt they owe in comparison. And what God knows and understands is that forgiveness is one of the most essential things in living in the kingdom because he knows as soon as bitterness or offense gets in your heart that Satan is going to get legal access into your life. He's going to thwart your relationship with God and he's going to bind up the kingdom's work in your life and you're going to enter into some poisonous behavior and thoughts and mentalities and you're going to have a blocked flow between you and your relationship with the Father. He's saying this is something that's an everyday essential. Making sure your heart is in alignment with God in these situations, making sure your heart is right with God. See, forgiveness is a heart issue, and we got to choose to forgive without expecting anything from others. But I'll say this, forgiveness is not reconciliation. There's some people that sometimes, let's just put it where it's at, right? They're nuts, amen? We love them, but when I forgive them, that doesn't mean i got to go hang out with them every day because they may hurt me again just because they just can't help themselves. So it's not always reconciliation, even though reconciliation is a wonderful thing. But sometimes you got to set boundaries and healthy expectations. But forgiveness, I'll say this too, it requires perseverance. I notice all the time I counsel with people all the time and they literally have strongholds in their lives in these areas. And I'll say to them, have you forgiven this person? And they'll say, absolutely, I forgave them so and so long time ago. I say, well, let's forgive them again. And they'll say, but I've already done that. I say, well, it wouldn't be hard for you to do it again then, will it? It is a reoccurring thing. It is, it is, you have to be persistent in your forgiveness, and it's a choice every day. 
Number five is his protection. Notice what he says in verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation. Now, we know that ultimately God does not ever lead us into temptation, does he? Scripture says that God, he cannot be tempted with evil, nor can he tempt us with evil because God is full light and in him is no darkness at all. It is impossible for a holy God to tempt you with evil. But what he's saying here, some people would say a a, a real way to translate it would be, don't bring us into great trial, but deliver us from evil. Or don't allow us to fall into temptation through a great trial that we might face. See, and here's the thing. We're all going to face battles. Y'all agree with that? I'm going to tell you right now, sometimes when we, we talk to people and so many people used to counsel a lot, of, a lot of people that were dealing with drug addiction. And they think, man, i got bad times in my life right now. If I just get saved and give my life to the Lord, everything's going to get lined out next week. I'm telling you it's not. I'm telling you that there are strongholds and Satan wants to fight you and he wants to resist you. And in this life, we are going to go through tribulation. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. It's not whether or not you're going to have tribulation and struggle and trial. You are going to have tribulation and struggle and trial. The issue is whether or not you are going to allow God to give you the strength and the power to face the opposition that is going to come against you every day and walk through it with peace, walk through it with joy, walk out with more holiness, walk out with more purity because you allow every trial to purify you and you allow God to be your source and make you stronger in the midst of that trial. He's saying, pray for his protection because we're going to face battles, but we need to pray, God, give me perseverance in the face of this opposition. And we need to learn how in prayer to engage in spiritual warfare because we got an enemy. And he's saying, Lord, don't lead me into temptation. Don't lead me into a place where I'm going to be tempted. When Jesus in Matthew 26, he was with his disciples. And you remember he was praying and he was praying, Lord, If you're willing, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he was praying that. And as he's praying it, he he told his disciples, he said, watch and pray. Watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, you need to watch and be be in prayer because prayer, you're a life in prayer. And here's what you'll notice. For many of you, you're tempted all the time and you fall into temptation over and over again. And part of the reason we fall into temptation is because our prayer life, our connection with God is off. When my connection with God is off, man, all kinds of little things can distract me. When my connection with God is on, when I'm watching and being alert and in prayer, a temptation can come and I say, well, you ain't going to get me. I'm, I'm over here connected to the source. This ain't going to come my way. And then he says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, you need to fortify the strength of your spirit through a life of prayer because you have spiritual forces of darkness that are going to come against you and oppose you and you might as well be ready for it and put your armor on and say, I'm ready to go to battle because he who is within me is greater than he who is within this world. And I'm here to fulfill the same reason that Jesus come and that was to destroy the works of the devil and we're going to enter into engagement. We're going to do battle because we're the children of God. And the scripture says that upon this rock, he will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We have a greater authority, folks, but you got to enter into warfare. I'm so tired of hearing people say, well, you know, I don't want to go any further in with God because I know the devil will attack. The devil's going to attack you anyway. And as soon as he gets you to lay down your weapons, he's already won the war. You got to press in. 
They say bigger levels, bigger devils. Bring on the bigger devils because they've already been conquered on the cross 2,000 years ago. We'll face whatever comes because Jesus has paid the price. Yes, we're going to face challenges, folks, but that's a part of the game. And this world's going to be wrapped up very soon. These lives are short. Our lives are but a vapor. But we got a war to fight here. We got a war to fight here. And he's saying, you better engage in battle and pray. Lord, don't lead me into a trial that's going to overwhelm me to the point that I'll fall into temptation. He says, but deliver me from evil. Deliver me from evil. Deliver me from evil. See, we're praying for his protection. The word evil there, I've taught y'all all kinds of Greek. Y'all be able to go to Greece and just have a conversation. We'll take a trip over there. It, it, the word evil, though, it's really interesting. It's this word poneros. Say it with me, poneros. poneros. There you go. I like it. it you got that like that, that southeastern Kentucky twang in the Greek. The word, though, it not only means evil, but there are many root words to this word, and notice what it means. It means evil, pain, misery, labor and trouble, anguish, distress. And then there's another root word, and it goes into suffering, poverty, starvation, and completely lacking necessary resources. All of these things are caught up in evil. When Satan entered into the world, he came to bring that evil. And you see in our world, we're, we're dealing with starvation. We're dealing with people completely lacking necessary resources. Evil at its root is that which, which obstructs all of the resources available to you in the kingdom of God. And he says, Lord, deliver, from, deliver me from that which is going to bring pain and suffering and torment and anguish and starvation and lacking the resources that are necessary. Set me free from that so that I can live for your glory. And finally, number six, number six, his glory. And really at the end, once you've prayed through all this, you're, pray, you're just expressing faith in God's ability. You're saying, God... I'm not just praying this stuff hoping that something's going to happen. The Bible says when we pray, we need to ask in faith without doubting, without wavering. Right? But when we ask, we know who we're asking. We're asking the God who spoke the universe into existence. I was talking to somebody the other day because we give the devil so much credit and, and the enemy so much credit all the time. I told him, I told him here Thursday night when we were talking, I said, you know how many, what it's going to take to bind the devil up in the end? Do y'all know what it's going to take? One angel. It's not like God's got to start like go, you know, and go and, and flex his muscles and get warmed up and say, well, is this going to be a battle between me and the devil today? No, God, sin, he could incinerate the devil if he wanted to. It's not an issue. One angel will bind him, but see, and I said to them, I said, well, why, doesn't, why don't you think Michael the archangel just goes over to him, snaps his neck, and just walks off and says, all right, boys, problem solved, peace on earth, Good, goodwill toward men. Like, why didn't he do that? Because on this earth, God has established a certain order. And that order is, is that human beings have dominion upon the earth. And the only way that you are going to see demonic principalities beaten is when you come into agreement with God's kingdom. And as long as you are in agreement with darkness, as long as a city is in agreement with darkness, as long as a nation is in agreement with darkness, demonic principalities have a legal right and a legal access to enforce their will upon people's lives. I know that's hard and difficult to, 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 to understand or maybe even explain, but that's why repentance is, is essential. And now we're getting in a world today where the people say, what do we do? They don't even need to call people to repentance. No, if you do not turn from the darkness, you are still continuing to give darkness legal access in your life. 
He's saying you got to turn, turn to God. This is all for His glory. Express faith in God's ability and remind yourself who is on the throne and be and who is ultimately in control. He says this in the last verse there. He says, yours is the kingdom. That means that all rule belongs to him. He's in control of all things. Yours is the power. All might flows for him. And yours is the glory. All honor and victory belongs to him. And now he's just asking for our agreement. And here's the last thing in your notes and I'll be done. I gave you six. You know, I, when I, I can't do six points. I just don't like the number six. You know what I'm saying? So I had to add one on the end. And the last one is our persistence. Because Jesus taught in Luke 11, immediately after he taught, immediately after he taught this, this prayer, he gave a parable. And he said, which of you at midnight having a friend come knock on your door? And this friend needs something to eat. And you say, well, I don't have anything. So you go over to your neighbor's house, your friend's house. And you knock on the door and you say, open up and give me three loaves. And he says, no, man, I can't get up. My kids are in bed. I'm in here in bed. I ain't getting up. And he says that the friend will not get up and give him anything because he's just his friend. But he says because of his persistence, because of his unashamedness, because he will not quit knocking. I, I tell it to you like this. You know, in the morning I tell my wife to put her phone with an alarm over in another place and that alarm drives me nuts. But I know that if that alarm is just sitting next to me, I'm going to snooze the fire out of that thing. But I will get up because that one over there will not shut up. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Now, what, what, what God is saying, Jesus is not saying, hey, the Lord is up there just wanting you to pray a whole lot. No, He's saying there are spiritual forces at work that are resisting things. And sometimes because there's so much resistance in the spiritual realm, you've got to understand that when you pray, you have to be persistent to push back the darkness and allow the kingdom to begin to come in this area. He's saying pray and keep praying and don't lose heart and don't give up. He says because of this man's persistence, he will rise and give him as much as he needs. And I'm telling you, our goal, we understand Jesus has given us a format for prayer. He's given us this gift of prayer, this gift of relationship with the Father. And he's saying, but when you pray, church, I need you to be persistent. I'm telling you, we're in a generation and in a time where more than ever, we don't need more church programs. We don't need cooler church stuff. We need men and women who believe in Jesus, who will pray and not stop praying. Who will say, God, it doesn't yet look in southeastern Kentucky the way that heaven looks. It does not yet look the way that it ought to look in our schools and in our families and among our children. It does not yet look, Lord, the way that I know you want it to look. And we're going to continue and persist in prayer until my life is changed and the lives in this community are changed. Amen. This is what we have to pray, folks. I want you to bow your heads just for a moment. I know you got a lot of needs. And we've got prayers that we want to go through. And, but right now, I just I want to give everybody in here an opportunity. If, if, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you would like to start that, and you say, I want to, I want to begin this relationship. I want to turn from some of the things that in my life that I know are not God's will for me. And I just want to give my life to Jesus. I want to put my faith in Him. I want to trust in Him for salvation. I want cleansing from my sins. I want eternal life. And I want to know that from this day forward, I'm walking, I'm living with Him. Just where you're at, I want you to raise your hand right now. Just let me know. Say, I, that's me. I want to follow Jesus right now. Anybody at all? Oh, see a couple of hands. 
see a couple of hands. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. And for the rest of us, I want us to pray that God would just give us a new desire to pray and to seek His face. And I, want, I want us all to just, just pray together right now just for a moment. Father, right now we come to You and we confess our sins to You. Lord Jesus, we've not lived according to your will for our lives. There's things in our life that we need to bring to you right now. We need to put it under your blood because we believe, we believe, God, that you died on the cross for our sins and you were raised again on the third day for our justification. So we confess our sins. We receive forgiveness for them right now. And Lord God, we ask for your salvation to have its full work in our hearts and in our lives and in our minds. And Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that right now you would fill each individual. And these, two, these individuals that raise their hands, Lord, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would fill them. And there would be that cry that comes from their hearts that says, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. And that they would know that they've been adopted into a family. And that we'd all be aware of that this morning, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would allow us as a people, as, a, as your church, even some of us that come from different churches, that you would help us to realize we're all one church and we're all your sons and daughters. And Lord, we want a relationship with you. We want to walk with you that is beyond what we have, God. And we are praying that your will would begin to be done in our lives and in our community, in our families, in our homes on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that with me. Lord, we're asking for your will to be done. We ask it in Jesus' name. I want you to stand to your feet with me. We're going to worship the Lord together here just for a moment. I want you to respond to the Lord however He leads you. If you want to come up and pray around this altar, that would be great. If you need prayer, there'll be people up here that would love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. But if you will, just take this opportunity. Let's respond to the Lord. Let's worship Him together.